Charlie Coker is the senior leader of Identity Church in Deltona, Florida, and the founder of Charlie Coker Ministries. Charlie has a diverse background in business and relationship restoration. He has been married to Susan for 39 years, and he has two sons and five grandchildren. Charlie and Susan's prophetic ministry is unique in the fact that God is using them to reveal the Father's heart for restoration, from personal sexual abuse within their own marriage, racism, and spiritual abuse within the church. Charlie has authored several books dealing with the message of the kingdom and the father-son paradigm and the finished work of the cross. Charlie has a passion to use his own experiences of restoration in his own life to help others achieve their goal and fulfill their destiny in Christ. Welcome to the Millennium Beat Podcast, where we like to encourage the world one story at a time. Now get ready to hear stories from around the world that encourage and uplift you. Now to the show with your host, Kevin James. Thank you, Pastor Charlie, for joining us in the studio today. Thank you, Kevin. Today, we're going to be talking about the baptism of innocent. Charlie, how did you come up with that concept? Well, I I think it came out of a need um, to return to my honeymoon experience that I had 20, 25 years ago with God. And uh, 25 years ago, Jesus walked to the wall and introduced himself to me and um, in a pretty stern way, basically told me to get saved or he was going to let hell have its way with me. And uh, when I surrendered, he filled me uh, with his love. Um, I mean, I, I, I used the description that, you know, he looked through me with uh, eyes that that just melted my heart and I knew he loved me even though he kind of threatened me and uh, I walked in the fact that he loved me for probably about two and a half years and in that two and a half years I I was walking in so much holiness and so much purity that my wife told me that she didn't even like me anymore didn't know me anymore well we were in the middle of a divorce so it really didn't matter i told you you were divorcing the other guy so try this guy out but what happened is is then you know god healed my marriage and healed these things and i slowly walked away from some of that um, purity and holiness that honeymoon experience because i got into ministry and i started uh you know working for god and somehow the spirit of religion taking me to the hamster wheel of performance and uh, I became really good at it I mean I can prophesy the paint off a wall if I need to and uh, but you know you start a church and 25 years later I was uh, I was kind of numb on the inside in some areas hear God's voice but um, the religion and performance had kind of stolen that that love part, that innocent part, that um, purity part. And so what happened is um, I was doing a conference up in upstate New York, and uh, God, the, the pastor told me to promote that particular conference. And so I did. I was reading off the flyer, and I said, yeah, there's some great speakers there, you know, Papa Jack Taylor, Bill Vanderbush, you know, Charlie Coker, the greats. And I said, some guy named Jim Baker. And I made a funny story, and I said, you know, funny joke. And I said, I hope he's not married to Tammy Faye. I mean, I knew it wasn't that Jim Baker. Never met him before, didn't know who they were. And 
as soon as I got done with making that little video, I went into an open vision about Mary and Jim Baker. So prophetically, I knew her name and had a download for their church and for their region. And, you know, it's three, four pages of that. And then I had a personal word for this Mary Baker. Little did I know as God was setting me up. And uh, I got to the conference that I was speaking at. And the Lord told me, he says, I want you to prophesy over this couple. Because what I gave you was a corporate word. And it will release some things that I'm doing uh, corporately. And so I'm like, okay. So I get there. And it's my turn to preach. And <laughs> they're not there. You know, they're uh, Mr. Airplane. They weren't there. And I'm like, okay, God, did I miss this? He said, no, you didn't miss it. And I look where, you know, if you're at a conference, they put the name of the speakers in the chair. And so the Lord said, take two chairs, put their names in it, and prophesy over them corporately, you know, over the chairs. And as I did that, Bill Vanderbush was sending them videotapes and making fun that, you know, I'm prophesying over Jim and Mary Baker. And Jim sent text back, yeah, tell that prophet to call her sin out and being funny. And then he realized that once he got the video that it was actually something serious. And what that did is it uh, it set up a chain of events that uh, I gave the personal part to Mary. And God was knitting her heart to my heart prophetically. I mean, I had information that only God knew. And there was something about Mary. I think they made a movie about that, something about Mary. But she scared me. I mean, she scared me. And there was an anointing on her and an anointing on Jim, but especially her, that made made me afraid on the inside. And at first I tried to correlate that, you know, I've been around a lot of preachers and a lot of people in ministry, and they're very successful. They're very good people and got a, a you know, I think two campus church in Ohio. And, and, and so I, <laughs> I like, what about is this religiousness that makes me afraid of her? And uh, I, I tried to accuse it of being religion, but it wasn't. I can tell you now what it was because I have the wording for it. She was actually walking in innocence, and that scared me to the point I didn't want to be around them. We went out to dinner, and uh, in our conversation, you know, if you, if you know my history, I mean, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. I'm, I'm the billboard of God's grace, you know, from my history. And so, I mean, I'm just raw and to the point. And I have a lot of history that only God could forgive you for. And she's sitting there and she, she makes this innocent statement. I, trade, I tried wine once. I said, yeah, well, where did you try wine at? She goes, eh, when I was a teenager, I was in Turkey on a missions trip. And I tried wine, so me being smart, I was like, I said, well, what did you think when you tasted it? She says, my first thought was, why would you put turpentine in good grape juice? And I just, I just had this thought. This couple came out of the womb praising Jesus and have never done anything wrong. They don't, they've never had the history I had. And, and I just made a conscious decision that there's no way I could be their friend for long term. And I wanted to, them to get away from me. Well, she wakes up the next morning, walks into the conference. Oh, I had a dream about you. It's all prophetic. It's all profound. 
And I'm like, thank you. That's great. <laughs> That's God. And leave me alone. You know, I'm trying to get away from her. And uh, and her husband is just hilarious. He should be a stand-up comic. And they weren't religious. They were free. Um, they were pure. They were holy. And I wanted nothing to do with them. I couldn't figure out what God was doing. And uh, so I, uh, I avoided the living daylights out of them. You know, I mean, I was cordial to them, but I realized this is not going to work. But, you know, when God starts knitting the hearts of his people together and you think it's not going to work, uh, I knew God was up to something. And so about two weeks after I'd gotten home, I had a prophetic dream. And in this prophetic dream, Jim and Mary Baker were beating me with weapons. I mean, they were, they were drawing blood, beating me, and just beating the little daylights out of me. And I started screaming for Jesus to come help me. And Jesus walks up in the room with a stern voice. He said, what is your problem, Charlie? And I said, Jim and Mary Baker, they're beating me with these weapons. And he goes, stand up. And he says, what weapons are you talking about? And I said, those right there. And I pointed to Jim and Mary into their hands. And... Uh, she was beating me with the weapon of purity. And he was beating me with the weapon of holiness. And it shocked me. Because they weren't weapons. They were the character of God, the nature of God. And I considered them weapons. And uh, the Lord said to me, he said, uh, it's going to be a season. You're going to have to wrestle me to get this answer. He said, but I... You know, I think it's uh, Proverbs says, you know, it's the glory of God to conceal the matter. It's the glory of a king to search the matter out. And so I knew I was in for a wrestling match. And so for a year, I wrestled with what was on the inside of me that would make me um, accuse the nature and character of God as being weapons. And uh, the whole year he messed with me. The whole year he, he was dealing with me in some areas that... Um, we're personal, you know, uh, and, and I realized that I, I had a prophetic dream about five, six months later. In this prophetic dream, um, God had me steady, sitting on a stage, a platform where Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, was introducing me, not Joseph, me, to the whole nation. And he was telling the whole nation that uh, there's no one greater on the nation other than him than me. I had the right to do business. I had the right to execute judgments. And basically he was telling people, don't mess with me. And uh, he put a, a robe, a kingly robe on me and uh, put this turban on me and then he put this gold chains on me and then he gave me a signet ring. And he was finally, you know, I was finally getting my just reward. That's kind of what this, this encounter was. And I looked out over the crowd, and I found Potiphar's wife. You know, the one who lied about me and betrayed me and put me back in prison. And when I looked at her, she had this fear in her eyes. Pharaoh had just given me the permission to rule everything. And I could see the fear in her. And I saw her squirming in her seat. And... Uh, be honest with you, I kind of liked it. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been there, but I kind of liked it. 
And uh, then I lip synced, you know, I kind of lipped these words to her. And I said, you can keep my jacket. And this fear came over her. And then I come out of this encounter and the Holy Spirit goes, you asked me a question why I couldn't, why I haven't brought your promises to you. This is some of the stuff I've been trying to work out of you since you met Jim and Mary Baker. And I said, Lord, you know I've passed that test. There's been times where I have used the sword of myself instead of somebody else. I, 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 I haven't been aggressive to the ones that have done me wrong. And the Lord says, oh, no, I know. He said, but you liked it just a little bit too much. <laughs> he said, you know, son, sometimes it's what fuels your passion that becomes your Achilles heel. And your fuel of success is to, to prove to your critics that they were wrong and, and you were serving me. He said, that's the wrong fuel. I'm changing your fuel, your motivation of why you serve me, why you've worked so hard. And I have worked hard. But he was showing me I had the wrong fuel. And, and that, 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 that encounter... Um, let me know that there's something still wrong on the inside. My motivation was wrong. And so um, we, we went almost the following year because we do this conference every March. That first March is when I met Jim and Mary Baker. And so my, my wife, we like to go snowmobiling once in a while. And I, uh, I found some cheap tickets. Oh, actually, they were expensive tickets because I found them on a spur of the moment to go snowmobiling in northern uh, New York. And I did it all spare of the moment, you know, expensive tickets, uh, you know, bed and breakfast, you know, where we stayed and rented the snowmobiles. And I just told Susie, I said, you know, I checked the weather. They got snow. Let's go. And and she she was happy. You know, I, I, first of all, my husband had made a decision without getting permission that was for her benefit. And so we get up the next morning after we land in, in Syracuse, and we're heading up Highway 81 up to Tug Hill to go snowmobiling. Ice, uh, snow, I mean, it's like 20 below, you know, 20, not 20 below, but 20 degrees, you know, below freezing. There's ice all over the car, and it's just, we're two Floridians. And uh, she just she just looks over her left shoulder, and she, like, looks into my soul. And she makes this statement. She says, thank you. I said, for what? She goes, thank you. I know that you did this for me. You spent the money, you know, to do this for me. She goes, isn't it good being on the other side of bankruptcy? We had gone bankrupt in 2010. And, uh, you know, you just don't have that kind of money sitting around to spend on the spur of the moment unless it's been good. You're on the other side of it. And when she did, God downloads a uh kind of like a computer folder with 21 files in it into my spirit. And the folder was written, the other side series. And I f instantly knew the first three messages was the first visitation that Jesus gave his disciples after the cross on the finished work of the cross. And there's a lot of revelation in there. And so that was February. We went snowmobiling. And then I was coming back into New York to do the, next year's conference and I was going to preach those three messages 
of Jesus on the other side of the cross and the finished work of the cross and how he he functioned with his disciples differently in the fullness of God. He was no longer man slash God. He was the fullness of God. And there's some pretty interesting uh, tidbits that I had in that. So I was praying, you know, on Tuesday. We were heading to that conference. I was speaking on Friday. So on Tuesday, I was praying that, Lord, you want me to preach these messages? And he said, yeah. And he says, but I have something for you. I said, what's that? He says, uh, I want you to go into in your prayer time, and I want you to open the folder. And then in file 12, I want you to add to these three messages when it's your turn to preach. So I went into prayer, and I, I opened up file 12. And the title of the file was The Revelation of Mary Baker. And it was his title of a book, you know, The Baptism of Innocence. And I realized that what I called weapons of war, that I called the nature of God and the character of God, you know, weapons that were abusive, um, God baptized me again with his goodness. God baptized me with innocence. And instantly, all of these records of wrongs, you know, all the, you know, the Potiphar's wife people in my life, all these records of wrongs, all this paperwork I had on people, he burnt it up because of innocence. And I instantly became childlike. And I walked in that for three days. Three days, I walked back in this this lovey, gooey, daddy loves me, I'm his child, innocent pure holy and it just blew me away it, it was it was the honeymoon was back and it was the baptism of innocence and i'm like wow that's really cool and uh, so i go into this conference and uh, i'm like god you know i'll do whatever you tell me to do and uh, i knew the message I, I knew that i had this encounter with the revelation of Mary Baker, and they were actually at the same conference, the same, you know, the second year. And, uh, you know, I had a situation where four years ago, one of my spiritual sons, Randy Hughes, he had had a moral failure and really messed up big and got divorced. And and the conference we're at is where one of the, the, the girls that he had had a relationship with, and just, it got nasty. And he didn't repent in a timely manner and and I had dealt with him as a spiritual father and as a spiritual overseer and ooh, it got ugly and uh, it was nasty had been nasty for two or three years there and uh, the fall the previous year uh, we had sat down and we kind of forgave each other because it got heated I mean and that little redneck came out of me and 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 you know you can't commit adultery and do the things that he did and get away with it and and I had record against him even though we had asked each other to forgive us and he he's strong enough to ask me to forgive him too so I'm sitting there with this new fresh revelation of the baptism of innocence and I'm getting ready to preach in about 10 or 15 minutes and the Holy Spirit says to me um, you just asked me if I was going to anoint this message and I said yeah and he goes probably not I said, excuse me? He said, I have an assignment that you probably don't want to do, and if you don't do, I will not anoint this message. 
I said, what is it? He said, uh, did you receive the baptism of innocence on Tuesday? I said, yes, sir, I sure did. He said, can you prove it? I said, what? Can you prove it? I said, yeah, I feel good. I mean, I'm I'm back in honeymoon with you. I feel like a child. And he says, well, the only way you can prove it is actually give it away. And I look across the, 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 the church there, and there's Randy. He says, you and Randy have forgiven each other to the point you could be in the same auditorium, the same room. He said, but uh, go declare him innocent. I went, excuse me. Do you know what happened? She laughed at me like, do I know what happened? And instantly I saw all this record of wrong, all the paperwork that I had on him. I had forgiven him, but I still had the record. And it, it, it really, I was confronted with, um, what do I do? Because love doesn't have a record of wrong. You go look at love in First Corinthians 14. Love has no record, keeps no record of wrong. And I had paperwork, even though we had forgiven each other enough. And the Lord says, you go declare him innocent or you will never preach again. I'm like, what? He said, that's my deal. And uh, I'm like, but Lord, I'm, at, I'm under authority of, of the leadership of this house who knows the situation. And, 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 and he said, you go declare it to him. So I walked over to him and I said, Randy, I said, uh, I'm getting ready to preach in a few minutes here. I said, uh, I got to do something. He said, what? I said, you know, we've forgiven each other enough to be in the same room. He goes, yeah, we have. I said, but I declare you innocent. And as soon as I said that, he started weeping. I started weeping, man. We hugged, and he told me he loved me, and I told him I loved him. And it was instantly, it's like all the paperwork I had on this man was burned up. And I gave away the baptism of innocence that I had received on Tuesday. So I got up to preach, and sure enough, I preached the first three parts of Jesus showing up. Then I preached the baptism of innocence encounter I'd had. And I heard the Lord say, don't be afraid. Do what I told you to do. And so I publicly declared him innocent in front of God and everybody. <laughs> and uh, you can see some heads turn. Like, what in the world? You got leadership there. I mean, I'm good friends with them. I love them. They're godly people. And they're like, I broke all protocol. You know, I'm saying, this guy's innocent. <laughs> Well, he did a lot of damage, and I don't think he was that innocent to some people there. And and uh, it, it was interesting, and uh, as soon as I got done, I knew it was God, and uh, the leadership were saying, I'm like, listen, I said, I'll, I'll explain myself later. And uh, they were a little not, not, they weren't mad. They were, they were, uh, they knew God was in it, but they, you know, sometimes you got to wrestle what God's doing. And, and, you know, if, if I can get in trouble, it's usually me. And uh, so I, uh, I, I was like, listen, I know God told me. I said, listen, he, God told me. I said to the senior pastor and the prophet, I said, God told me that if I didn't do it then, that I'd never preach again. And I said, I may never preach here again. But my whole ministry was on the line. God's serious about this. I said, I don't understand. I said, listen, guys, here's what he said to me. He said, obey me. 
I've given you the ability to obey me like a child and trust me. I'll help you walk the mechanics of this revelation out. I said, so I had the baptism of innocence that created a childlikeness in me that trusted my father. Even when I didn't agree with the protocol that he was telling me to do, I trusted him. That's childlikeness. And uh, afterwards, uh, me and Randy and some other people, we went to lunch, and, and he's, he's trying to figure it out. And uh, we had a conversation that needed to happen. He said to me, he said, man, God told me, he, he told you to, to spiritually murder me because I wouldn't repent. I said, yeah, he did. He goes, you're good at it, man. I said, no, nah, <laughs> I can swing a sword. And so just this healing came, and we weren't sure. I said, Randy, I don't understand this. I said, but I know that it's supernatural. I know what it is. And within about 10 days one day, we're talking on the phone, and he says, Charlie, he said, this is one of the mysteries of the kingdom. You, this is a mystery. Uh, my heart was healed from his wounds, and his heart was healed from my wounds. And uh, we came to the conclusion, two strong prophetic people came to the conclusion, this is a mystery. You cannot do the math on it. And we reconciled and reengaged and, and started walking through the mechanics of the baptism of innocence. And uh, it was funny that that night when I got done, um, I was staying staying at Dave King's house. He's a prophet on staff, you know, number two guy at the church. He's he's in their leadership. I'm staying at their house. I get out of my car and his dog bites me. He's got a great big old chocolate lab looking dog. Or that thing bit my left hand, drew blood, and I thought they was gonna kill his dog. <laughs> And as soon as that dog bit me, I heard the Holy Ghost quite loudly yell at me, don't overreact, don't overreact. I'm thinking, don't overreact, the dog just bit me. You know, I'm like, I'm going to overreact. Thank God I didn't have his dick out. I beat that dog. But he bit me and drew blood. But he said, don't overreact. So I knew God was allowing this thing to happen. And Dave was Dave was upset, and his wife was upset. I'm like, listen, this. I said, you know, so I downplay. It's not a big deal. It's only blood, you know. It, and and I was like, God, what? This whole weekend was so supernatural. What What are you trying to show me? And so I laid down, and I went to bed. I, my hand was still kind of bleeding. We had bandaged it up, and I said, Holy Spirit, what What uh, What are you trying to show me? Allowing that dog to bite me. You know what he said to me? He said, listen, he says, this revelation of the innocence, the religious dogs are going to bite you because the spirit of religion won't allow me to be as good as I really am. And religion's going to bite you, tell you that this is too good to be true. He said, so be ready to be bit. I said, you know, God, you could give me a dream. You didn't have to make that dog bite me. And, and I've, I've, I've often gone back to the dog bite when I explain the baptism of innocence and how good God the Father is. It's part of the crucifixion. Hear me. And this is what nobody, everybody wants to argue with me. You know, it's too good to be true. I said, but did Jesus take away your sins on the cross? Did he? So his innocent shed blood took away your forgiveness of sins. All right, good, okay. So uh, beyond that, it says that he became your sin. 
So not only did he take away your sin, he became your sin. And I can give you several scriptures for that. But then the last thing Jesus said, hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He was declaring us innocent. And and when you you, you figure that, that this innocence thing, um, I, I got uh, the Passion Translation in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, and it says, and he chose us to be his very own. Join us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that he would be seen as holy in his eyes, that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. This is the gospel message. I can give you four, five, six scriptures about being childlike, coming as a child. Those who come of a child will inherit the kingdom. When you have the baptism of innocence, it brings a childlikeness that comes into a, a, a place where you trust God as a father. The interesting thing is that when this happened with me and Randy in this conference, the evening servant was uh, Leif Hetland. He was ministering there. He's one of Papa Jack's sons like we are. But he, he's known as the apostle of love. He goes through the Muslim nations, Pakistan and all those, and he kisses Muslims with the love of God, and, and they call him the apostle of love. And that's his ministry, this guy. You know, so as, as he gets done preaching, he looks out and Randy's there. Normally, Leif would lay hands and kiss everybody in the place. That's kind of what is his mode of operation is. He only laid hands on one person, kissed one person. It was Randy. And when he did that with Randy, Randy falls under the power of God. I heard the Holy Spirit say, your message is a precursor, a pre-runner, a forerunner for what Leif does. And what I saw was this move, this corporate move of God where the baptism of innocence comes in. And we as Christians... Um, don't think we're innocent enough to let the Father love us. And so we've been stiff-arming God, the Father, when he comes to kiss us and to love us because we don't think we're innocent enough. And so the baptism of innocence takes away our stiff-arming God. And so right after the baptism of innocence, <laughs> Leif comes in and just wipes him out and kind of finishes what God was doing with Randy that night. And uh, I went into a vision. I saw myself kind of forerunning uh, what Leif does and uh, taking that stiff arm away. And that's really what I believe that my calling is with this message and the release of the baptism of innocence is to uh, prepare people for the Father's love. So it's really not an evangelistic tool to get people saved. This is for saved people that don't think they're innocent enough. They have the biggest person that um, I had record of wrong was was me. So as soon as I heard, uh, you know, there is no record against you that you're innocent like a child, I quit looking at my own history, my own failures, my own lifestyles, and uh, it opened up a whole realm. Once, once I walked in innocence, then I could give it away. Kevin, I can tell you I have experienced this as a weapon of war 
that once I have come through the place of repentance in a situation, a relationship, and received the baptism of innocence and the paperwork gone, then I send it toward the other person. That's what I did with Randy. And then he was able to burn up his paperwork, and then we reconciled. Listen, that man drove to Florida from New York with his new wife, and uh, he said to me, he said, uh, I thought I would never do this again. He said, will you be my spiritual father again? I said, in my living room. And I said, yes, Randy, I will. And I said, one thing I never did, and I said, never quit being it. Whether you wanted me or to or not, I never gave up that seat, but absolutely, I receive you again. And all of a sudden, his Amanda, his wife, goes, what about me? What about me? Am I innocent too? And so I said, yes, you are. And received her. And it's changed. It changed their lives. And uh, I think that we need to understand that the finished work of the cross, Jesus not only forgave us of our sin, he became our sin, then he declared us innocent. And in our childlikeness, we come to the Father and we get molded and shaped into his image. And he matures us into priests and kings. And uh, I have found that I have researched some of my foundational belief systems, my assumptions, and I didn't think God was that good. And that was where some of my black and white religiousness um, probably did more wounding. I mean, let's get real serious. Uh, control issues uh, seem to fall away. <laughs> uh, legalism falls away when the baptism of innocence comes. But I'm convinced that I've seen uh, relationships as old as 22 years ago, a pastor got upset and mad at me. I went and repented five, six times over the years to him because it wasn't that my prophecy was inaccurate. Um, I just did damage with it. And so for 22 years, I mean, he had nothing to do with me. I had nothing to do with him. Somehow God put us together in this baptism of innocence thing. We've reconciled. I mean, he's in, we're in the process right, he's in the process right now of, uh, endorsing the book on innocence right now that man had been sideways with me for 22 years and when we finally met um he's like man what happened to you and uh i think one of my elders rodney he made a statement as we got back in the truck i said what in the world was happened to that meeting what was that and he says god said that your innocence your baptism of innocence made your humility greater than your boldness and now he can use you to expand the kingdom and so when your child likeness comes in, true humility comes. And uh, people don't see you as arrogant. People don't see you as, you know, pride. Even though you're probably walking in more insecurity than arrogance and pride. You're just trying to trying to figure out who you are. I've, I've seen multiple, multiple relationships healed. Uh, first, you need to take it for yourself. And you need to be innocent. You need it. Take it beyond forgiveness. See, forgiveness has a record of wrong. You know, what did you forgive me for? Well, here it is. I still got the list. <laughs> when innocence comes in, the list is gone. And then you can, those relationships can be restored. But I'm convinced that it's a move of God right now uh, on the earth uh, to prepare his people to deal one with another. Because, you know, what does it say in Scripture? You know, the world's going to come because of the, they see our love one for another. Heck, we don't even like each other most of the time. You know, church people and pastors and 
leadership. So, yeah, that's definitely true. All right, let's wrap it up a little bit. Um, let's say right now, like if you were talking this message in your church and there's people coming up, what would you be saying? Or what would you be leading them in type of prayer or a statement? What would you be telling them? So like they're listening and they go, hey, I want that baptism. What would you say to them? Um, come forward, prepare your heart. Make a list of people that you may, you may have still some unforgiveness for. And you need to deal with that because unforgiveness blocks your ability to walk with God. Um, you know, this this kingdom is a, is a reaping and sowing kingdom. You know, we want God, we want God to forgive us of our sins, but we hold unforgiveness towards somebody else. And that's, that's basic Christianity is not to have unforgiveness and bitterness toward people. But I come to find that we have stages of it. And so you need to find out what is your hindering? What is your Achilles heel? What is that relationship that you you see that person in Walmart, you see that person in a restaurant, and that thing makes your gut spin? And you need to deal with that. And if it's something you need to go ask for forgiveness for, you need to. If you, you need to start in, in with God and say, Lord, I recognize this. I, I was a horse's patoot, and I ask you to forgive me for that. And then, then you say, Lord, will you baptize me in innocence and remove the record of it? And I'm telling you, something happens. And, and you need to receive that because he not only, uh, he became your behavior. Okay, if your behavior is stemmed from a sin, he became your sin. He became your behavior. So he removes that. And then the innocence comes in because he said, you know, you didn't know what you did. And so the baptism of innocence comes in and the reality that Jesus not only paid your price, but he made it to where you are innocent and you need to receive it. And then once you've received it, and I, I, I have come to the conclusion, it's a three-day process. I tell people, you need to work this out yourself and, and look at situations and look at things that Maybe you weren't innocent in your behavior, but if you ask for forgiveness, he says you are. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the emails I got from, I ministered this, and this lady sends me this email. She says, and I heard you minister it. Uh, you, you came up and declared the baptism of innocence on me. What I normally do is I, I kiss you on the, on the side of your cheek. I said, receive the baptism of innocence, and it's just a declaration, and the Holy Spirit comes and does the work. But she says, I received it. She says, and I did exactly what you told me to do. I went home and I worked worked on it myself two or three, four days. After I got myself to the point where I knew that I was walking in the baptism of innocence. She said, my husband had cheated on me in 2005. We had forgiven each other. But you know what? Forgiveness is only so far. And I reached over and rolled over and I declared him innocent. And I kissed him on the cheek. Something what God had done in my heart, God did in His heart, and I'm going to tell you. She says it changed my marriage. The baptism of innocence removed the record that we had forgiven each other, and all of a sudden, this love came into my heart for Him. This this restoration of what it was before. She said, "I believe that's like a mystery of the kingdom." I'm like, "Yeah, you might want to try that." And so, I mean, I got testimony after testimony after testimony like that. And uh, we do our part. God has already done his. And uh, what I found is is that um, when I 
do it in preparation of intercession. Then I, I, I walk it out and then I send it ahead of me. This one pastor that we reconciled after 22 years, he could not remember what I did that made him mad. It's like God removed his memory. And I'm going, hey, I forgave you, and I'm innocent in it, but I, I can actually tell you what it was. <laughs> but God, it, and, and it was supernatural to him. I mean, we, 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 we found a prophecy of John Kilpatrick of, of about reconciling in the next couple of years, in these several years that nationally and corporately, and I believe that this, this key uh, is, is what God is releasing to reconcile with your brother, reconcile with people that you were in ministry with that, you know, you might say hi to, but you don't want nothing to do with because of some reason. But uh, it's been amazing to watch God do this. You know, a funny thing thinking that comes in my mind is, Christianity sometimes has been known as the only people that shoot their own wounded. You know, Christians shoot their own wounded. And there's probably a lot of people that we know and probably people that are listening. They've gone to church and somehow they've been hurt by a church. Sure. Something's happened to them. And, you know, now this innocent thing's coming in and says, okay, I declare you innocent. And you, you know, I get, you have to go through the stages first. I mean, you have to you have to tear up the paperwork sure. that you hold on them. But there's probably a lot of people in church, and, and maybe not not in church anymore because of yeah, pastors. The, the pastor and, did this, or the leadership did that, or and that's really an excuse, you know. And you're holding paperwork against God, really, right? You know, when when the the revelation of Jim and Mary Baker, you know, I started repenting when he showed me that I was considering his character and nature as weapons right and i started repenting for that sin that i was sinning against them and the lord rebuked me says you're not repent for sin against them you you're you you considered my character as weapons as as, as demonic he said you sinned against me mm. i mean they're walking in the nature and character of holiness and purity and i'm calling it demonic mm-hmm. i was sinning against god Right, because I had gotten into religion and the hamster wheel performance, and you know. Now, there's one story you've taught in your, your messages, and you might want to talk a little bit about it. Your dad, before he died, he learned about the innocent. <laughs> tell tell us about that. That's a good, great story. My dad has always been a great Christian leader and been in the church and uh, kind of religious. I think I I, I come by it uh, uh, through a family inheritance i guess but here he was 92 years old and uh, we had he had had a a a bicycle accident and in his uh, early 90s and had to have hip replacement so he wound up having an assisted living and uh, his eyes were getting bad he'd ask me man son pray for my eyes i'm like well dad maybe god's not gonna heal your eyes but give me a little bit of hebrews and he'd rip off by memory, Hebrews 10, give me love, he'd, he'd, give me some James. Oh, yeah, he'd rip by memory. He knew the Bible that well. And so when I had this encounter with the baptism of innocence, I I have enough historical record that if you, you can run your jaws all you want with experiences, but if you can't back it up in Scripture, you're in trouble. And so many times I would call my father and I would uh, ask him, does this line up with Scripture? And we he, he knew by... By memory, um, uh, we researched, so he knew all the scriptures, and, and he helped me walk this out. 
to applying it properly. But my dad had a, a situation that about five, six years earlier, um, he had loaned my niece and my nephew $7,000 to buy a new goat, a sire goat. They raised, raised goats and they bought this really expensive goat to increase their uh, herd and the quality of their herd. You know, it's funny is, is I was actually, my, my nephew was over at my house this weekend and, and I may, I asked him a question. I said, did, 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 did grandpa actually, did you ask to borrow that money for grandpa or did he offer? He goes, he offered. He was just telling about he wanted to buy this goat, didn't have the money. So my dad said, here, I'll give you the money. Long story short, the goat died six months into this, his new uh, employment. And dad, dad said, well, he died happy doing his job. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but, but my, my, my niece and brother-in-law, they, they started making payments. My dad had gone to the accountant and had an amortization, and it was doing very little interest on it. But he was, my dad was a man, letter of the law guy. And uh, they fell into hard times and quit making the payments or couldn't make the payments. And then they started fudging. Well, I'll send you one next week. I'll send you this. And so this went on. And over the years, he would mention it. And he, he was getting bitter. He was getting bitter about it. And I, I sat him down on more than one occasion. I know the second time I sat him down, I said, listen, I've already talked to you about this once. I said, this is starting to affect you. I said, it's, it's starting to affect your personality and your attitude toward toward your niece and, and, and her husband. I said, and I, I said to him, I said, you're a stinking millionaire. I said, write it off. Just be done with it. And it wasn't the money. It was the principle. And he felt like he was being, you know, disrespected. And then she, it was funny. He, he, he even had a situation where she had told him, well, I'm sending you a thousand dollars, grandpa. And then she says, well, the, 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 the mailman, uh, I have the right address, and he, he sent it back. My dad's a retired postmaster. I mean, that's not the lie you should probably give my father. And long, long story short, it hit, he had become so bitter toward this granddaughter that he started taking it out on her mother, which is an accountant and takes care of all of his money, to where he didn't, he was starting to, it was manifesting his bitterness and his resentment. And uh, he wasn't thinking clearly uh, as a Christian man. And so um, I, I can remember looking at the text messages with my sisters and me about, Grandpa, my dad's mad and he's, he's, he's really starting to be accusative because he didn't want this granddaughter around her mother because she, he could get my checks. He, she, I mean, just false accusations. And, you know, we're a strong Christian family. This, this is destroying us. And to where he was, he was getting bitter and he was getting mean. And so I said to, uh, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, um, I, I, we got to do something. And uh, the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, I have a plan. I said, yeah, what is it? He said, it's baptism of innocence. And he gave me this plan. And so I went to, uh, I went to Vero Beach, which is two hours away, and I picked him up, and we went to the bank, and we went to the attorney, and we, we did some business. And I would picked him up from the assisted living, and we did that. And we're sitting in the parking lot of a barbecue restaurant. And I said, Daddy, I need to talk to you. I need a serious conversation with you. And he said, okay. I said, I'm not talking to you as your son. And I said, uh, <clears throat> I'm not talking to you as a prophet. 
So I'm talking to you as a pastor. I said, okay. I said, have you walked out this baptism of innocence with me, with the scriptures? He said, yeah. And I said, do you believe that it is uh, the word of God, and that, that, that it's true? And he goes, absolutely. He says, because of the blood of Jesus. And I mean, he, he lays it. I said, so have you received it? He goes, yes, I have. I said, good. Can you prove it? <laughs> he goes, well, how do you prove it? I said, could you declare your granddaughter innocent? And when I did that, demon within him manifested. And I had to cast a demon out of him right in my car. And I'm like, holy moly. Then he started crying and weeping. And I, he, I said to him, I said, listen, I came with a plan. When we get done with lunch, I'm going to go back to your apartment, and I want to write a letter. I want you to write a letter and forgive her. Tell her that you're sorry and repent, and I want to have communion with you. He said, okay. So we went back to his, uh, before we actually got into the restaurant, he says, I need to tell you what I did. He said, uh, a couple weeks ago, I had uh, my cousin who's, lives in the town, took him by his house, and he had went and got the paperwork uh, of every payment that they didn't make, of what they should have paid, and little notes on it. She lied here, didn't send a check, gonna send, and then she talked to me, and I'm gonna go do $50 a month. He had a record of everything that she had done or not done, and uh, he had had my cousin take him to the house, and he had a copy of all that paperwork in his little apartment. He says to me, he says, you know, I went and got that, he says, for two weeks, he said, there was a demon in that closet where I kept that paperwork. And that demon was starting to torment me. And I knew I was in trouble. He said to me, he says, son, I said, I cried out to God. God, something's wrong. I need help. Will you send me help? And he said, that's why God sent you. And so long story short, we went and we did communion. We did that. And he went, I went to write. He says, he said, what do I write? He said, do I, do I write... Uh, 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 debt canceled or I said no I said uh, that's not innocence just mark it paid in full and then he dictated a letter where he repented and told his side of the story and how he had gotten bitter and asked her to forgive him and blessed them so this debt is paid in full it's interesting that I did not realize the significance of that message and the impact. It changed him instantly. Right. Changed his relationship with my sisters. Everybody saw it. It was it was supernatural. Well, the following week I had gone preach. After that, I had gone preaching, and uh, he I, I I ministered the baptism of innocence, and I told this story about this goat, and people got. I mean, I saw families get right with God with this this message of the goat and so my friend drove me to from Pittsburgh to Philadelphia I had to do a couple days of business um, and so I, I did some couple days of business and it was a Wednesday that I was at the airport and I called my daddy now my daddy for the last three or four years when I would pick up the phone I would call him I said how you doing and he would he had a pretty good sense of humor he'd say something like well at my age every day above dirt's a good day or he would say, getting old ain't for sissies, if he was having a bad day. That was his way. But I, when I, I said, how you doing? He goes, I'm innocent. How about you? 
Little did I know. And I told him, I said, Daddy, I said, uh, I told your goat story and how God healed that. I said, it healed a bunch of people. I said, I want to preach that at your funeral. He said, what? At your funeral, I want to preach that because this is the greatest manifestation of a man of God at 92, almost 93 years old, that can repent and get things right. I said, 93-year-olds don't do that. I said, I think I'm more proud about proud of you over this than anything in your Christian walk. He made a statement. Yeah, you can, but not anytime soon. And uh, that was a Wednesday, and I hung up with him. And uh, I got a call early that Friday morning, just a few days later. He had had a stroke, and he lived about three days after that, and he passed away, and we had his funeral on uh, his 93rd birthday. <laughs> but uh, I, I did the goat story, and I realized not everybody's happy about the goat story. There were some mad people mad at me because they felt like I exposed his sin or I dishonored him. It's the greatest. My father did the greatest thing he's ever done as a Christian. He did a lot of things. He was a lot of people's hero, but he was my dad. You didn't live under it. All these people that, that thought I did him wrong, he didn't live under his rulership. I did. And uh, so I, I watched I watched the baptism of innocence heal my father, heal my family. And uh, as as I was preparing for his to do his funeral, I heard the Lord say, "You know, son, people don't understand uh, bitterness and unforgiveness. How serious I am about it since I died for it." And He said, uh, "Your father cried out to be be prepared to meet me." And I knew, when I told you that that I was going before you, he wanted to get it right so he could meet me. And I, I've always I thought, I thought, man, as long as he served you, God, are you telling me if he hadn't dealt with that? I mean, I, I, that's a big question. I mean, does does grace cover that? Or, I mean, you know, does he wind up living in an outhouse instead of a mansion? I don't know. Um, but I know that, that he walked in as innocent, you know, so God prepares for that, but I watched it change my father. Right. I watched it change my father. Yeah. Well, what is neat about you is you take something that the Lord has showed you. And in this conversation, you show the practicality of it actually being used and the results of it. Absolutely. I mean, it's just not a theory. Like, if you do this, this is going to probably happen. You have, say, if you do this, this happens. Yeah. You know. I've seen it work too much. Yeah. You know, it's it's just not something, it's not a theory, theory or theology in a sense. It, it It's practical. It's really good. So. Yeah. All right. Well, that is definitely one of my best interviews I've had so far. It is definitely, I, I'm hoping that it's touched some people that are listening, that they are innocent, and if not, they need to be. Yeah. You know, so, well. You know, uh, the, the, one, the one practicality, when I said, when God told me to do, to step out and, and do it by faith. Right. That he had given me the ability to trust him as a child. But what he said is, I'll help you, I'll show you as you walk the mechanics out of this one of the mechanics is realizing first of all you can't give away what you don't have right and so the only person that could declare you innocent is somebody that was innocent mm. 
So you have to come back to the to the reality that Jesus was innocent right. on the cross. Yes. Why wouldn't we be considered innocent if we believe in him? Right. True. Definitely true. And I'm telling you, that burns the paperwork. Right. The accusation I have against myself, much less you or somebody right. else that I have issue. Dude, if I can't do it myself, then I'll never be able to give it away. True. And so it's an inner healing thing first and foremost with us individually. Right. And then, and listen, let me make a very clear statement. Not every relationship needs to be restored. Right. But you can walk in innocence and never touch, talk to another person. Right. But there are going to be some. Right. Yeah, <laughs> there's to. always going to be some that God yeah. probably wants to fix. Right. To where you don't have that ax to grind in your heart when you run into a Walmart or a restaurant. From the sounds of what you're saying to me is, is in, the, in our listeners, is we have to burn our paperwork, the things that we've written down about ourselves, And then what we've written down about others. And then others, yes. Yeah. And you don't always have to go to that other person. Not always. But to, you can declare it in, in the heavenlies that they're innocent. I think that's the greatest weapon that there is. This is why he said, you know, this is a weapon of victory. Right. You know, and so with, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. Well, listen, when, how could you even come to the conclusion that you're a righteous man, taking the gift of righteousness that Jesus gives you? Why would Jesus give you a gift, a, a righteous gift, and put it over something that's dirty? Right. No, he puts it on top of somebody that's innocent. And so when your innocence comes into more of a reality, your righteousness becomes also more of a reality of who's living in you. And that's that union thing between you and Christ. And the reason why I was saying that you don't have to go to the person, because somebody is listening in our, in our lives, our airwaves, that say, hey, I have a problem with my father or my brother or my mother or whatever. They did something, but they're no longer here. Yeah. So, you know, how do I declare them innocent if they're dead already? You can still declare them. I'm talking, this is a mystery. Right. right. That's right. It is a mystery. Because when they become innocent in your heart, then you can think about the good things about them and not hurt you anymore. But how many times, you know, oh, God's a father and you got father issues. And the first thing you go is like, I don't want to know him. Right. Because <laughs> why? You have paperwork about what your father did to you. Right. Or, you know, you need to be more intimate with the Holy Spirit. I'm like, really? I don't even like my mom. You right. know, <laughs> yes. and we wonder why we have no intimacy right. with God. And yeah. uh, I believe that this this does a lot of healing. Um, and, and come on. If you've been around me much, you find, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm raw as raw can be. I'm tough as tough can be. And, and I'm like, God, you're so funny. You're making me a kissing prophet. <laughs> you're, I mean, I'm mushy. Um, I cry. Right. I'm, I'm just, I've turned into a goo ball. Right. And, and I'm seeing God touch his people and heal them. Yeah. But you know what? The Lord said, if you didn't have a soft heart, you wouldn't be crying. I know. So it's 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 leaking from your heart, basically your tears. Yeah, but I'm I'm watching God use this baptism of innocence. Mm -hmm. It is it is, um, it's been proven. Um, there's some giants of the faith that have heard the message, who has started dissecting the message, who have gone to the scriptures, mm -hmm. and found it in scripture. Listen, I have found so many scriptures to right. back this up. You can't deny it. Mm -hmm. But I really believe God is pulling the covers back in this time and season to heal us individually and then to heal us as a body. Mm -hmm. Because he wants the world to go, hey, yeah, their love one for another mm -hmm. is amazing. Right. How'd they get that? 
and that's through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about the scripture about when G- um, the disciples asked Jesus about forgiving. Now, there is a difference between forgiving and innocence, mm-hmm. you would say. I mean, we can forgive people, but if we don't declare them innocent, that's not the whole thing. Well, I think what happens is we forgive people, but then we carry the paperwork. Right. And the paperwork robs your joy. The right. paperwork robs your ability to be childlike. Mm-hmm. So you, 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 when you carry the paperwork, you're waiting for the next person to come abuse you. Right. <laughs> just, just look at that aspect right there. If, if innocence burns up the paperwork, then you can literally walk knowing that God is a good father. If you're walking childlike, listen, he's such a good father. He's not going to let you get abused. He, he hates injustice. Mm-hmm. And he'll protect you. But if, but there's never going to be two judges on the same case. So if you got all this paperwork on somebody, mm-hmm. you're the judge. Jesus, God's not going to. So burn the paperwork. Let there be one judge and let him be the judge. That is awesome. Well, I think we could close on that. If you guys out there have paperwork on somebody, burn it. Thanks, Pastor Charlie, for sitting down with me today. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in today to the Millennium Beat Podcast. I hope you heard something that was encouraging to you. We'd like to hear from you with your story. So write us at stories at themillenniumbeat.com or give us a call at 407-624-9957 and leave us a voicemail. You may also find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we have a YouTube channel. Please like us and share us with your friends. You may also go to our website at themillenniumbeat.com and you'll find our podcast and our YouTube video. You also may find a calendar there with past and future guests and dates and times. Plus, another way for you to contact us with your stories or questions. This has been a Millennium Beat LLC production, copyright 2020. Views and opinions of the guests are not always the views and opinions of the Millennium Beat LLC. You've been listening to the Millennium Beat with your host, Kevin James. I am going to give you a little snippet of a show called Family Matters by Paul Kindle. If you want to hear more shows like that, go to KindleFamilyNetwork.com. Once again, I'd like to thank Paul Kindle for his use of his show. Welcome to Family Matters, a daily look inside the real world of parents and their children. I'm your host, Paul Kindle. Welcome to the program. Today we're going to be talking about quality family time. You know, Times are changing and technology has soared to an all-time high. A common complaint around my house is for equal time on the computer. And you know, I just don't remember that being a problem when I was growing up. We didn't even know what a computer was. But you know, the popularity of email and instant messaging has caused sitting down and writing a letter by hand to become a thing of the past. You know, sadly, something else is becoming a thing of the past. And that's quality family time. You've got television, the internet, long bus rides home, and busy activity schedules. They can all steal away from our time together as a family. You know, children will develop their religious beliefs and social skills from whomever or whatever they're exposed to the most. It's interesting that when a child gets in trouble to hear their parents say, well, they certainly didn't learn that at home, Well, of course they didn't. 
They learned it while they were hanging out in the mall parking lot while you were too busy to spend time with them. And the enemy of their soul knows the strategy of a seed well sown and long-term subtle influence. But it's up to us as parents to make sure that they grow up to become healthy and whole. And for that, there is no substitution for quality family time. You know, the scariest thing about raising kids is that you only get one chance. And just like the old saying says, they don't come with instructions. But God's word is full of wisdom and direction for parents. Listen to Proverbs 22.6. It says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Parents, you cannot effectively train by substitution or from a distance. Training is a very slow, a very long-term process, and it demands quality time. You know, a great way to start is by setting a goal to sit down and have dinner together as a family at least four nights a week. And by the way, turn off the television. The real news is sitting across the table from you. You know, I learned so much about my children by sitting at the dinner table and asking the simple question, Hey, how was your day? Remember, parents, someone is going to train up your children. God's Word says it should be you. That's Family Matters. I'm Paul Kendall.